Today's teaching text comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. This can be found on page 958. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Well, everybody, the Lord be with you. Troy, happy to be one of our pastors here. A couple of things before I jump into talking a little bit more about that text. Um, happy 25 years old to this church. Yeah. I don't know whether to call it a birthday or an anniversary, so whichever one you like, I will just probably go back and forth between those things. But... Um, yeah, we'll be finding multiple ways over this next year, during this 25th year of marking this. Again, not to be overly self-congratulatory, not to pat ourselves on the back, uh, but to aware and to remember God's faithfulness, God's goodness over these years. Just thinking about, uh, I came to work here at this church just after the five-year birthday anniversary, um, and I think it's mind-boggling to think about 20 years around this place. And I'm eager for us to both remember, but also to pray in anticipation and in yearning and longing for what might still be in front of us. What might that look like? So keep your eyes and ears open. We'll do a couple of different things over this next uh, 25th year. Um, And then uh, I just wanted to remind us, Lent does begin in a couple days. In addition to Valentine's Day, this coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Make your tough choices now. Um, We'll be gathering twice on Ash Wednesday, once in the morning here, once at lunchtime in Grand Rapids at the beautiful chapel there. We hope that you will join us to mark, literally mark, and be marked by the beginning of this series, uh, season. And then starting next Sunday, we'll jump into a new series on Sunday. Sundays, obviously, it's next Sunday, Sunday. Um, and uh, it's going to be called Let Us Pray. And we're going to take six weeks um, to investigate prayers in the Bible and to ask that God would teach us to pray. God would make us to be more of a faithful. I'm sorry? Uh, that is not working on the internet, and so I'm going to use this one instead. I saw a bunch of people go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, uh, what was I? Next Sunday, next Sunday, we'll start a new teaching series, and we're going to give ourselves faithfully as we can over six weeks uh, to both learn about, but I'm not just interested in us gaining information about prayer. That doesn't sound very compelling to me. I want us to continue to be shaped into people who pray. And so that's going to be our efforts over that course 
of six Sundays. So join us for that. This week, um, that means that this is the last Sunday in a series that we started way back in October, middle of October, this Faithfully Curious series, um, where we've been trying to allow the Bible to ask us questions. (laughs) Ask us questions. How can we look at some of these evergreen, faithfully curious questions and uh, submit to them? There have been all kinds of questions, as it happens in every single series, there's content that we never could get to. I want to give you a small glimpse. These are some of the questions I was kicking around for this week um, that are going to have to show up some other time. I love this question that uh, that people ask Moses, why did we ever leave Egypt? Why didn't we just stay back there? I like that question. I like when God asks Job, where were you when I did all of this stuff? I think it's a great question. I love the question that the angel of the Lord asks to Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? And then there are these great rhetorical questions that Jesus asks people throughout his ministry. How long shall I put up with you? That would have been a good one. Um, This, are you still sleeping and resting? And some of us say, I wish, right? And then, why are you bothering this woman? I feel like there was a lot of possibilities with that question that will have to also be saved. Instead, uh, today uh, we're gonna do this question out of Luke chapter 10. It's a question that I have to admit that I kind of whisper and pray so often in my own life. Um, In the spirit of Denise's teaching last week, if you were here, she gave a really helpful mnemonic device to try to remember last week's uh, question. Here's this week's question. Hope this is helpful for you. Mnemonically, that probably helps you, right? Remember what it is, right? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? What a question. An evergreen, faithfully curious question that I think helps this church, our church, to seriously consider how it is that we give ourselves to our mission and vision. That's the way I want to think about this particular question. How does this challenge our church to think seriously about the way we give ourselves to our mission and vision? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Okay, let's begin here. Let's look at the characters. Two female characters, only five verses, but two female characters stand out strong here. Not caricatures by any means, but I think they can help us, and they can serve sort of as archetypes. Um, So, Martha, Martha, Uh, it tells us that Jesus comes to Martha's home. It's her home, verse 38 says. And so there's some uh, consideration that maybe Martha's wealthy, that maybe Martha's kind of a unique figure in this day and age. It's not somebody, some man's home that they come to, it's Martha's home. That's worth thinking about. And Martha is doing what she should be doing. She is being a really good host. She's taking care of the people who have come to her home. A generous treatment of visitors and strangers. Uh, This is so important throughout the Bible. First century Palestine, this is so incredibly important. Uh, Martha is fulfilling her cultural expectation. You might say it is her duty. She's fulfilling an expectation here. She's doing good work. And not only that, but 
You guys, Martha wants some help. She wants some help. Is that so unreasonable, by the way, to want somebody to join in on the work? My Enneagram 1 responsibility drive is going to come out strong throughout this, by the way. She just wants a little bit of help. Can somebody join me in this work? Okay, and then we see Mary. Mary, Mary is pictured, in the very little bit that we get over here, she's pictured behaving like a disciple. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, it says to us, listening to his words. And this is pretty uncommon for most people to do, but really, really uncommon for a woman. It's very, very unusual that a woman would be, would be, be behaving like this. She, unlike Martha, she's upending expectations. She's, she's poking around at some of the cultural conventions here. Now, when we look at this story, often, and I would say too often, what happens? We look at these couple of characters. We look at Martha, and we look at Mary, and we come to sort of this generic takeaway. And the generic takeaway is this. Friends, don't be a Martha. Have you heard this? Don't be Martha. Right? I see that hand. Thank you. Another Enneagram one with a responsibility drive. Don't be a Martha. That's the kind of takeaway that we typically get out of this. Leave your dishes, right? Leave mowing the grass. Leave balancing the checkbook. Leave doing your homework. Leave all of that stuff aside. Don't be a Martha. Choose the thing that is better. So the summary is be a Mary. Don't be a Martha. That's so often the takeaway. And I got to tell you, I think that takeaway is crummy. I think that takeaway is overly simplistic. I don't think that that takeaway is a good one out of this text. Here's my punchline for the whole thing. I think choosing between Martha and Mary is a false choice. I think it's a false choice. I think choosing to be one or the other of these sisters is an oversimplification. I think that we are to be at one and the same time, Mary and Martha. We are to be both. I would say it this way. Healthy discipleship will always include both contemplation and action. Healthy discipleship will always include both contemplation and action. These two women, I mentioned before, they could be seen as archetypes. They could be seen as images, pictures of these couple of ways of being, of contemplation and of action. Martha, who is opening up her home. Martha, who is serving her guests. Martha, who is ultimately serving Jesus. A picture of the life of action. And then Mary, Mary who is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary who is attending to the words of Jesus. A picture of the life of contemplation. Don't get too hung up on the, on the language of contemplation. If it's helpful for you, and I find this helpful. The root word of contemplation in Latin, it's these two little words. Contemplare. With temple. I think it's an interesting way of thinking about contemplation. It's, it's to live in the temple, to live in the presence, to live underneath its canopy is the way that one translator describes this. It's wanting to be constantly in the temple, in the presence. 
So we're not called to be Mary and avoid being Martha. We're not called to be Martha and avoid being Mary. We are called to be both of these, to be contemplatives in action and to be activists in contemplation. It's both. It's both. St. Ambrose, um, in the fourth century, he had this to say. He said, virtue does not have a single form. So in the example of Martha and Mary, there is added the busy devotion of the one and the pious attention of the other to the very word of God. We have it right here. We're not having to choose between one or the other, that it's to be both. To choose one instead of the other creates a false dichotomy. That we are called, I would say it this way, we are called to love God and to love neighbor. You've heard this probably, right? My friend Michael Gulker, he says that this is the north star of being a Christ follower. To love God and to love neighbor. Think about our church's vision statement. Made up of two parts. To be a Jesus people for the sake of the world. Doesn't that look a lot like God and neighbor? I want you to know this, that Mars Hill Bible Church's encouragement to you is not to choose which one of these you like best. We're not inviting you, encouraging you to choose which one of these fits your disposition the best. Which one of you is most suited to your comfort level? Which one of these is most like your current desire. The call and encouragement of Marshall Bible Church is that your healthy discipleship will always include both. I really like the plain spokenness, uh, this this, uh, theologian Susan Muto. She says this, I must never separate Mary, who rested at the feet of Jesus, from Martha working busily in the kitchen. I must never separate them. Friends, it is to always be God and neighbor. Always Martha and Mary. It is always to be contemplation and action. We need both as faithful followers of Jesus. And yet, and please don't miss this, and yet the order is crucial. The order is crucial. Our action, our doing, flows from our being. It's crucial that we prioritize Mary's impulse to sit at the feet of Jesus, to prioritize that impulse and to recognize that it is out of our abiding in God's presence that we are empowered and that we are sent into faithful and obedient action. The order is crucial. And we have stressed this numerous times over the 25 years of our life. I want to further emphasize this. Um, I just want to highlight two wise guides, two wise perspectives that I think these are from folks who also believe that the order is really important, that the order of contemplation feeding action is vital and crucial for us. First, uh, a, a, a guy named Thomas Merton. He was an American monk. 
Um, he wrote all sorts of books. In 1971, a book of his came out called Contemplation in a World of Action. And it's a book that essentially celebrates being a monk. And you would think that that book wouldn't have lasting impact. But part of what helps it to endure is that Merton is expanding sort of like a monkdom for everybody. And is trying to say that for everyone, for all of us, not just monasteries, but for all of us, it is vital that we prioritize abiding in Jesus. Here's just one amazing passage. Remember, this is 1971 when this was published. Merton says, and don't get hung on man here, this is human, but modern man does, is not in agreement with himself. He has no one voice to listen to, but a thousand voices, a thousand ideologies, all competing for his attention in a babble of tongues. What a phrase. A thousand voices, a thousand ideologies. Anyone ever struggle? Anyone ever struggle to know what issue in the world should get your attention? Because doesn't it seem like everything, everything is utterly important, <laughs> and yet you only have so much that you can give, right? A thousand voices. How are we supposed to decide where we invest or where we act when every other Instagram story is calling for some kind of immediate response and when the babble of tongues makes us all feel ashamed for not doing something decisive? And then listen to these words a different guide, a contemporary guide, Ben McBride. He's a peacemaker and he's an activist who lives in Oakland, California. And McBride is one of these people who believes that and who stresses it isn't, it, it's not just important that we do something, but it's vitally important that we become someone and that that be a pathway toward our redemptive action in the world. McBride says this, when we don't stay on a constant journey of becoming, we may become enthralled by new projects and bold initiatives and other things that just reinvent the harm of history rather than actually repair it. Ouch. If we don't stay on a constant journey of becoming, McBride here is one of those voices calling for action, action that comes out of being, action that comes out of being that is transformed into Christ's likeness so that, friends, so that our good intentions don't unintentionally end up doing the opposite of what we were trying to do in the first place. I know this potentially makes some of us uncomfortable, but I think, I think we need to take literally and we need to take seriously Jesus' words in John 15. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. 
getting the order right, prioritizing being at the feet of Jesus, this challenges all of our illusions of self-sufficiency. Getting the order right reminds us that we need wisdom beyond our own wisdom to guide us. That we need power beyond our own power to, so that we might see in our meaningful action new fruit brought to bear in our world. I, I'm, really I'm really struck that Martha, Martha, while she is doing good work, Martha, while she is doing the work she's supposed to be doing, is still distracted and worried and upset. Still distracted and worried and upset. In fact, I think Martha is missing out on the very presence of Jesus even while she is serving him. Missing out on the very presence of Jesus while she is serving him. And so I want us to be a people, a Jesus people, a Jesus people formed by Jesus, a, people, a Jesus people formed to be like Jesus. And then out of that ongoing transformation, we would submit ourselves to the guidance and to the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of the world. That we would get the order right. And so, here's what I want to do. I want to close. I want to close with an, a final acknowledgement and then some invitations. I want to acknowledge that we all have a leaning toward one of these examples. That we all have a leaning towards one of these sisters. Some of us are more naturally Martha-like, and some of us are more naturally Mary-like. Some of us are more naturally drawn to abiding and to resting at the feet of Jesus, and some of us are more naturally drawn to creative and redemptive action in the world. And, and I, I'm so grateful, and I'm humbled by the way that God so generously, with variety, gifts the church, gifts this church, it's amazing that we have such a range of people. Now, my encouragement is this. My encouragement is that you give some attention to the other M. That maybe during this season of Lent, it's a chance for you to emphasize the sister that you aren't as naturally drawn to embody. So for those of us who are more naturally like Martha, I want to invite you to rest and to wait. I want to invite you to rest and to wait. To give some concentrated effort to sitting at the feet of Jesus. To give some concentrated effort to listening to what he says. To give some concentrated effort and seek to remain connected to the vine. Here's my encouragement. I want to encourage you to experience the apparent uselessness, the apparent unproductiveness, the apparent inactivity of simply sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. 
And Merton was talking about being a monk, but I think this is probably good for all of us to reconcile and to say that we should quietly affirm that there, there is something more important than just getting things done. I encourage you to experience that. How many of you are a fan of avant-garde music? Same. Yeah, me too. Me too. If you were to be a fan of avant-garde music, you would know that this past week was kind of a big thing. Something really significant happened this past week, uh, particularly significant in the, uh, a little town in Germany, in Halberstadt. Um, there's a church there in Halberstadt that is hosting um, the performance of a composition by the composer John Cage. John Cage, in 1987, wrote a piece for the organ called As Slow As Possible. Yeah, as slow as possible. And he, ha he didn't have very many instructions, but his hope was that the piece would never be played the same way twice. He gave no established tempo for the piece, but he did establish how long the notes should last and the chords should ring in relationship to one another. So, this little church in Germany with a very specially built organ in Germany began performing this piece by John Cage in September of 2001. And it's due to end in September 2640. That's a single composition played by a single organ that lasts 639 years. Yeah. And this past week, February 5, 2024, a new note got added. That's the big deal. That's the big deal. A new note got added this past week on the 5th of February. It's the first note to be added in two years. It's been two years since the last. The next note, August 2026. It's fascinating. Fascinating. But get this. I think it gets even more remarkable. The beginning of the piece, it begins with a rest. Yeah. No kidding. The first note on the page is a rest. And so... It began on September the 5th, 2001, and the opening rest lasted until February the 5th, 2003. <laughs> so the peace began with 518 days of silence, and then the first notes showed up. As slow as possible. You can actually listen to this if you want. Um, sped up. And it still takes about 27 minutes. This is obviously super extreme, super strange. But what I admire about the spirit behind this piece is its apparent uselessness. <laughs> I love its apparent unproductiveness. I love its challenge 
to those of us who are quick to jump in and get things done. Some of us so desperately want to get to the next chord. So many of us want to accomplish quickly. And Cage is challenging that in such a dramatic way. Martha, Martha, rest and wait. Rest and wait, Martha. And for those of you who are more naturally like Mary, I want to encourage you to move out in courage. Move out in courage. Would you give some concentrated time and energy to embody the words of Jesus for the sake of the world? Would you trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you into redemptive action and into love of neighbor? Back in the 1100s, a guy named Bernard of Clairvaux, he said in a sermon this, he said that uh, the person who is wise, the person who is spiritually wise will be more like a reservoir than a canal. Now, I've got to be honest with you. My knowledge about bodies of water is pretty poor. So I don't really understand a lot of this. So I'm going to borrow some of his words. But Bernardo Clairvaux said this, that a canal simultaneously pours out what it receives, but that the reservoir, the reservoir retains the water until it is filled, and then it discharges the overflow without loss to itself. You see what he's saying here? That the one, every single time it gets a little, it spins it back out. The other waits until it is full, and then discharges, and then gives that water away when it's full. And then Clairvaux goes on to say this, that too many people, and remember, he's talking in the 1100s, too many people want to pour out before that they have been filled. And too many people want to speak before they listen. And too many people are impatient to teach what they haven't learned. Too many people presume to govern other people when they haven't learned how to govern themselves. What an indictment, by the way, of social media a thousand years before social media was ever invented. I digress. I highlight this to say this. For those who are like Mary, the temptation can be a little bit different. The temptation can be to hold on to the overflow. The temptation can be to be hesitant, be hesitant to give voice to what you have heard while you've been at the feet of Jesus. The temptation of Mary might be to, to hesitate to talk about what it is that you have learned, to wait for the perfect moment before you contribute or before you act. And so Mary, I invite you, move out in courage. Step out in courage. Act in confidence that you will be empowered. Act in confidence that your ongoing transformation can be good for the life of the world. I think it's really significant that this story of Jesus coming into the home of Mary and Martha, this story comes between two other massively significant stories. Just before this story, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And right after this, 
he teaches the disciples the words to the Lord's Prayer. Whether you are more naturally Mary or Martha, hear Jesus say these words, go and do likewise. And whether you are more naturally Mary or Martha, hear Jesus teaching you to pray. It's both. I believe Susan Mudo is right. We are meant to be waiting upon God in our inner and our outer life. One thing is needed, Jesus says. And I would turn it and say one person is needed. In our contemplation, Jesus. In our action, Jesus. As we sang this morning, at the center of it all. One person needed. Jesus, who is the host wherever he is. It's fascinating to me that Martha is working so hard to host Jesus. And whenever he shows up anywhere, he is actually the host. And though we might intend to be serving him through our actions in the world, and though we might intend to be serving him through our devotion and our contemplation, Jesus is always serving and always giving to us. And this is made so evident when we come to this table. To this table where all of our need, all of our need is met by his overflow. So, friends, I say to you, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And so, in a spirit of thanksgiving, let's pray together. How right and how good and how joyful a thing it is at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And so, we join our voices with angels with archangels, with the entire company of heaven who are forever surrounding your throne, singing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so would you, Holy Spirit, right now meet us would you meet us in our impulses to do? Would you meet us in our hesitations to do? Would you meet us in our uncertainty of how to be? Would you meet us in our desperation to be with you? And would you feed us so that we might love you and love our neighbor more faithfully and more like Jesus? And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said that this is my body broken for you. So take it and eat it. And in a similar way, he took the cup and he blessed it. 
and he gave it to them and he said that this cup is the new promise. The new promise sealed in my blood, so take it and drink it. And whenever we eat this bread and we drink out of this cup, we tell the story again. That whenever we sit at this table, when we come at this feast, when we sit at his feet here, we are given what we need for the sake of the world. And we do our best to tell this story. While we do the eating, we tell the story with these couple of simple phrases. And so would you join me? Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. So we invite you to come and to be fed. There are tables in these four spots. There'll be students here to serve here, all allergen-free elements. There'll be people who are prepared and ready to pray. See, John is here. We'll sing some. You can pray. You can write a prayer and, and place that into the prayer walls. Know that our staff will pray for you. But let's come and let's be at the feet so that we might be sent for the sake of the world. So come, please. All things are now ready. Receive who you are, the body of Christ.